you ever wonder about the ways in which God works in your life or in the world? Do you ever step back and think, God, why, why did that happen? Are you sure that was the best way to do that? Wouldn't this have been much better? Didn't, this seems to me like a better plan. I really think that would have been more effective. You ever ask those questions? I do. I, I often say, say those kinds of things to God and, and, and try to help him understand that I, I think I have a better handle on some of this stuff than he does. Let's be honest. We wrestle with that. We struggle to, to, to really understand often why God does what he does or doesn't do what he doesn't do. And we keep coming up against the fact that God loves to work in ways that we might not expect. We see that through the history of God and his people. If, if you, you go way back in history and God puts his hand on Abraham's life and he says, I, I'm going to... I'm going to start this whole thing with you. And, and Abraham is certainly a man of faith, but he is 75 years old with no children. And God says, I'll, I'll take care of that in about 25 years. And, and again, Abraham is this man of faith, but at least twice in the recorded stories when he puts his wife in a pretty bad position in order to save his own skin. And, and when his son has children, he, his son Isaac has twins. And out of the two boys, God says, I'm going to take the one named Deceiver. Who spends his life deceiving people and trying to deceive God. We think, really? And when God is ready to call his people out as a nation, they have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And all they know is Slavery. Their, their mindset is being a slave. The way they think, the way they see the world, the way they process things is being a slave. And God says, I'm going to bring you out of that. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you're going to accomplish amazing things. And as they go along, they keep rejecting God and turning on God and, 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 and sinning against God. And he sticks with them. And when it comes time to, to appoint a king, who he says, it's through this king that the Messiah will come. It's through this king that I'm going to show you what my followers look like. He picks a shepherd who has no experience. He's young. And while, he has a, while his kingship is really quite extensive, he really commits some of the big sins that people can commit. And then we come to this story of the birth of Christ, the Messiah. And, and God chooses a common couple, which, okay, we can live with that. But really, she's going to be pregnant and not married? God, you do realize that the law you created says that we can stone her to death for that. And her situation brings, in that culture particularly, it brings shame on her, on her fiancé, on her family, 
on the village. And then you think about Joseph. Joseph is dealing with two sides of, two, two kind of two demons here. One is the people around him judging him because they're saying, Joseph, really? I can't believe you did that. And Joseph is saying, wrestling with his own demons internally, saying, I didn't. And I don't know who did. Imagine the conversation. Mary says to him, Joseph, here's what happened. Really? That's a story you're going to stick with? Hmm, interesting. Maybe I'll just put you away. Until an angel comes to him and says, she's telling you the truth. He says, okay. And all throughout this story, we find that the birth of Christ just sort of enveloped in shame. Enveloped in everything that is the opposite of how we would do it in order to bring the the Son of God into the world to make a difference in the world. And the way we would do it and the way God does it, totally opposite. But that seems to be the way God works. God loves to do the unexpected. God loves to do things in a way that we probably wouldn't dream of doing. You think about even the fact that God comes as a baby to communicate his truth. Now, we love babies. They are cute. They're beautiful. We, we love to embrace them. And, and, and we, we are so grateful for the privilege of babies being born and taking care of them and nurturing them. And, you know, the, they are some of the great gifts of God, but they're not real adept at communicating. Now, they can communicate a couple of things. You know, they can communicate they have a need and communicate that they're happy. That's pretty much it. And, and you know, babies are just self-absorbed. It's all about them. Imagine a baby waking up in the middle of the night, hungry, and thinking to himself or herself, you know, I'm hungry, but it is 2.30 in the morning. Probably shouldn't wake up mom and dad. They've been up a lot lately. They're tired. I'm going to let them sleep. I'm going to wait till morning, and then I'll cry and let them know that I'm hungry. Don't we wish? They wake up, they're hungry, they scream. It's all about meeting the need right now. And, you know, Jesus is 30 years old before he reveals himself as the Messiah. And you think, God, really? That was the most effective way to do that? And you think about how the birth of Christ is announced. How God tells the world that Christ, the Savior, is born. I was thinking about that this summer when uh, William and Catherine, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, had their baby, Prince George. And I was reading about that event, and they did what William's parents, Charles and Diana, did when he was born. They put up a notice, like the one you see here in the picture, in front of Buckingham Palace. And the notice has all the details about the birth, and it's signed by the physicians who helped the baby be born. 
And then I, I read an interesting thing about this is that they had to get from the hospital to Buckingham Palace. And so what they did is, this is, this is exactly what the sentence said, that they put this document in its own car and drove it through the streets of London with a police escort to Buckingham Palace. Now, I'm picturing this in my mind, thinking about that. Um, did they seat buckle this thing in the back seat? Did, was it its own car? That it, you know, Usually it drives its own car, but you're royalty, so somebody else drives it for you. But it's, it pillows around it. They have secret service agents. You know, you're going through the streets of London, sirens flashing and, and blaring and lights flashing. And, and you get pull up to Buckingham Palace and I can see the doors open and all these agents come running out and they're guarding this thing and they put it and post it up. Now, that tells you this is an important kid that was just born. If the document describing his birth gets a police escort through the city, this is an important child. And you would think that God would do something similar. Now, there is an angelic choir. That's pretty impressive. You got to give them that, right? But they don't sing at the palace. And they don't sing at the temple. They sing out in a field to some shepherds. Shepherds are outcasts. They are uncouth. They're uneducated. They don't go to the temple very well often. In fact, they're not really welcome in the temple because they don't follow the practices of the law because of the way that their jobs are, are the way they do their jobs. They are the lowest of society. And it's to these people that the angelic choir announces the birth of Jesus. We would say, let's do something like the Duke and Duchess. And God says, eh, I got a little different plan. And we are continually reminded that God, that though we think, we think the power and success is in the capitals of nations and in the boardrooms of Fortune 500s and in the lives of people who have the most wealth and carry the most weight and have the most clout and influence. And God keeps telling us, not quite. In his kingdom, it's about humility, not power. It's about giving up, not grasping. It's about surrender. It's not not about how much power we can grab. It's about how much we can give away. It's about a willingness to be weak instead of a grasping and desire for power. And God keeps turning our thoughts and our ideas upside down. Jesus comes to a couple that we wouldn't expect in a way that we wouldn't expect. He's announced in a way that we wouldn't expect. But that's how God works. Now, we know that intellectually. It's just hard to live that. A number of years ago, I read about a guy who 
He was sitting in his family room reading the paper and his little three-year-old daughter was sitting on the floor playing with her toys and singing Christmas carols that she had learned in church. And she was singing away at these carols and he was sort of half listening and half reading and all of a sudden something caught his ear about what she was saying. And he stopped and he listened. She was singing away in a manger in a crib for a bed and the little Jesus lay down in a sweet head. And he realized that she had twisted the words just a little bit. And he wasn't singing away in a manger. She was singing no way in a manger. And he said, I think maybe she was on to something. And I thought, wow, she is. It's true. Because it makes a great story. And we love the pageants. We love the little kids coming and dressed up in their bathrobes and all the things that we do with the story. And, and it's, we have this idyllic picture of the birth of Christ. But quite frankly, it's not like that at all. And we have this idealized image of how God works. And often it's not like that at all. And we say with our, our mouths... Wow, the manger and all of this is awesome. But with our lives, we are tending to say no way. See, part of the problem is we're looking for God in in those moments that are profound. And God does come to us sometimes in those moments that are profound. But often God comes to us in the moments we might describe as common. God comes to us when we have set aside time for him, when we come for worship, when we're reading the scriptures, when we're praying. But God also comes in other moments of our lives, shoveling the snow, doing the dishes, talking with our children, studying for an exam, going through difficult things in life. God speaks into our lives just as much in those moments, in the unplanned, unexpected moments, as he does the planned and expected. And because we tend to not look for God in those moments, we miss so much of what God wants to do, what he wants to say to us, how he wants to work in our hearts. Sometimes it's, It's through people who are different from us that God speaks. People we we think, what could they possibly ever have to say to me? Not too long ago, a friend of mine was telling me a story about when he was in college a number of years ago. He was an RA and he was working with with an RD who, you know, he liked, they got along well, a good relationship, but he... He didn't really respect this RD much because he just didn't think he was that spiritual. He said, you know, I don't know if it was my place in life or my upbringing or where I was in my journey. But he said, it bothered me that this person, they watched too many movies. They, they had too much fun with people around them. They weren't serious enough to really be a committed Christian. And he says, so I really kind of looked down on, on this guy who was my RD. So we were having a conversation one day, the two of us, we had regular meetings. And I was just saying, telling him, he said that I'm really wrestling with where I am in my spiritual walk right now because I feel like it's a little bit out of kilter. He said, I I have seven classes and I'm only involved in six ministries here on campus. 
And I feel like that, that means that God's not significant enough for me because I'm doing too much schoolwork and not enough God stuff. And the RD listened to him and he very gently said, well, why can't God be a part of that stuff too? Why can't God be a part of your schoolwork and your relationships with people? And my friend said, you know, I, because I didn't really respect his opinion, I just sort of brushed it off. And I didn't think that much more about it. But over the course of the next few years, God just kept hammering those words into my mind. It kept echoing into my, into my, in my mind over and over again. And ultimately, I began to realize that my life was compartmentalized. That I saw God in the things that I did that I thought were spiritual but I didn't think at all about God in all the rest of life. And all of this stuff had nothing to do with God. Only this stuff did. And as God kept reminding me of those words, he began to break down the walls and break down that false image that I had created. And I began to realize God wants to be in all of it. And to be a Christian is to let God be in all of it. And to hear God in all of it. To experience God in all of it. And God began to rebuild my image of him. Into a true image. Not of a relationship that's compartmentalized. But a relationship that's holistic. About every part of my being. And I began to have experiences with God, he said, that I had never experienced before. Because I'd missed so much of what God was trying to say to me. See, we we have a tendency to put God in a box. God, these are the ways in which you can work. It's through these circumstances. It's through these kinds of people. It's through this kind of stuff. This is how you work. And anything outside of that simply cannot be from you. So someone that we might disagree with theologically, they'd have nothing to say to me. Someone who might have a different perspective about life, they have nothing to say to me. Someone, someone who, who might understand the church a little different than me, they have nothing to say to me. If they don't fit into my box, they can't be from God. And one of the things that the incarnation tells us the whole story of the coming of Christ is that God wants to shatter our boxes. Because often God does want to speak to us through circumstances and people that are outside of these little boxes we've created. And if we refuse to let God shatter our boxes... We miss out on so much of God in our lives. We are like the religious leaders that encounter Jesus. They see him face to face. They know all the right stuff. And they completely reject him. Because he doesn't fit their image of how God should work. And what God should say. And what God should do. And quite frankly, I don't want to be like that. I don't want us to be like that. I want us to be people who are so open to whatever God wants to say to us in whatever way and through whomever God wants that we are continually hearing God 
and being changed by God and transformed by God through ways that are expected and ways that are not. As I was pondering this whole idea, I I was reminded of of something St. Ignatius said. He made this interesting statement. He said, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. I think there is something in that about the way God works. It may not look like we think, may not look the way we want, but God is at work. I was thinking about the one of my favorite Christmas stories. It's a story I would guess is probably familiar to many of you. It's called The Shoemaker's Dream, written by Edwin Markham. And it's a story that he tells of having a dream one night that the next day Jesus is going to visit his little cobbler shop. The story takes place, you know, in the old days. So he wakes up early in the morning after this dream and he runs out into the woods and he gathers some greenery and he decorates his shop in a way that he thinks would be appropriate for the coming of Jesus. And all morning he waits for Jesus to come, but he doesn't show up. The only person that comes is an an old man who knocks on his door, who's cold and tired, and he welcomes him in and warms him up, and he notices that the old man's shoes are in tatters. Really, they're not even shoes anymore. So he goes to the shelf, and he takes down a pair that he's made, and he makes sure that when the old man goes on his way, he's wearing a new pair of shoes. He waits all afternoon for Jesus to come. He doesn't show up. The only person that comes in the afternoon is an old woman bearing a heavy load of firewood. And he welcomes her in out of the cold and discovers that she hasn't eaten anything for two days. And so when she finally goes on her way, he makes sure that she leaves with a nur- having had a nourishment, nourished meal. And as afternoon moves into dusk, still, Jesus hasn't come. And he hears something outside and he goes out and there's a little child crying. He's lost. He brings him in, warms him up, and then takes him home. By the time he gets back to his shop, it's dark, the day has ended, and he's so disappointed and frustrated that... This promise he thought was from Jesus didn't happen. He thinks about what would have happened if Jesus would have come and how he, he would have welcomed him in and, and given him food and drink and, and, and adored him and worshipped him. It would have been glorious. But he missed it. And he says, Lord, why is it that you're Feet delay. Have you forgotten that this was the day? And out of the silence, a voice he heard. Lift up your heart. I kept my word. Three times, I 
came to your friendly door. Three times, my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. It's hard to know exactly how God will speak into our lives. But he is speaking through the common, the mundane, the exceptional, the profound. Through anything, at any time, and anyone. Are we listening? Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Because we believe you are speaking. We pray this through Christ. Amen.